Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode number 388. My name is Brando. Welcome back to the podcast, Mr. Sean Bevan. How are you, sir? Good. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. It's been about a year, 60 episodes ago. I actually did the math that you were on the first time. <laughs> wow. It's a, I, I was listening to that episode, and I, I can't believe how much we spoke about that time. So I'm like, oh, man, we got to figure out new things to talk with, which there obviously is. But what a great episode. One of my, my listeners' favorite episodes. But oh, great. What about you? What have you been up to this past year i guess i can literally say what has been going on um, last year with you yeah kind of uh the kind of multi-faceted thing that i do really you know i did a tv show called the d'amelios mixed that um and uh i did a movie with uh katrina law and um her husband keith andreen who is the director um scored that for them um my wife produced it Juliet produced the movie um just a short, short film. Um, super fun. The music came out great. So I'm super happy about it. Um, I'm always trying to do film stuff as much as I can. Cause it's just fun <laughs> and, uh, mixing, uh, I've got several albums coming out. There's a band called there is no us on Cleopatra. That's coming out soon. Um, great, heavy, heavy band. Um, and I've got, I'm working with uh, Tiger Lou, which is a Swedish band, um, just finishing their record up, working with an amazing artist in LA called Savannah Pope, who is, it does incredible videos and stuff. And we're working on an album with her. Um, that album is getting really close to finished, which is awesome. I just finished the last mixes for the new Three Teeth record that will be coming out this year. Um, for Sony and uh, so excited about that too. So yeah, just doing stuff like that. And in the meantime, uh, doing eight millimeter stuff as well. We've got seven songs in the can. Uh, we're working on the eighth song right now and a cover of White Rabbit. So it should be fun. You're so lazy, Sean Bevan. You don't. <laughs> oh my goodness! The fact that you, uh, I'm, I'm given. If anyone's listening, just not watching it, but listening to the podcast, you are not reading off a teleprompter. It's how do you remember? No, all that's of that? just coming off the top of my head exactly at this moment. Um, yeah, I, you know, I always like to get do stuff. Um, I get bored. Well, I don't get bored, um, but I just love to work, and I, and I like the challenges of things, and and. I'm also writing uh, songs with uh, Jürgen Monkby uh, from Shining in Norway. So we kind of Zoom like this, Zoom back and forth and write together. Okay. Um, you know, it's, that is, has been really fun. We've been, we've been working together since I think 2008 or 10, somewhere around there. Um, we did Black Jazz, which was a really cool album. Um, kind of defined a, a whole genre of heavy music. And then as as he's gone through his career, he's like changing up everything he does all the time. He's just a tremendous musician. 
And uh, he and I have been just writing songs together for like the last three years, something like that. Okay. Um, you know, and so I'm usually there to help him with the lyrics and, you know, some arrangement stuff and everything. You, you said something interesting at the beginning, because obviously we're talking about writing music and producing music for others, but you enjoy making music for movies. Why is that? Like, why, why did that stand out? Because you kind of lit up when you said that. Yeah, um, it's it's kind of like every time you do a movie, you'd like join a new band, you know. <laughs> um, and it's like so it's the excitement of the new thing, you know what I mean? Okay. Like uh, so, I, and I really I love that aspect of it. So it's like that you know you you sit down with you know the director, you do a spotting session, which is where he kind of shows you where he wants music, what he wants the music to do in the different scenes of the movie and stuff. So you kind of got that director's kind of overall um, view of, of what things should be. And then you sit down and you've got your, your tools are your music and your ability to write things. And then you've also got this new lead singer called Dialogue. You know what I mean? So you're kind of listening to that. You're like the, the writer is I creating the a cadence to the dialogue. So you kind of get interested in how, what that's doing. And then you want to support that. Um, the visual images also are like a, give you an idea of the tone. So it's like this kind of really cool collaboration. And it's like, even if you're by yourself, because you've got all these things that you're working off of, it's just, it's instant inspiration. You know what I mean? So, so you don't feel like it's not a blank page, you know what I mean? Like when you're sitting down to write your own song and you're just like, well, like, wow, okay, what do I, what do I do? You know what I mean? You've got this, this, all this inspiration stuff. It's like this mood board, this, you know, like, you know, these people telling you, I want to do something like this, you know? And, and, uh, it, it's just exciting. And then to be able to, um, watch the picture and hear your hear the music that you're playing and then watch the scene and see how it just expands creatively you know what i mean like like all of a sudden those images now have an emotional context you know which you know when if, if you've ever seen a movie without music it's a weird experience yeah because <laughs> um, it's it's a weird thing about the psyche of humans but we do not judge emotional context from visuals so it's like we need something to give us emotional context and we definitely get emotional context from the things we hear and music is you know one of the fundamental things that really feed us emotionally i watch so, god sorry yeah so it's like that so that is is one of the things that's super exciting about it because um it's that thing about like when you, as soon as you hear what you've done, you, you experience, like you feel it, you know what I mean? Like you, you, you know what I mean? So it's, it's like, it's like a, a fresh coat of paint on a wall. Like it's like once you do it and then it's like, wow, I get to ex like experience that and have that. You know what I mean? And uh, it's, it, so it's, it's like a super exciting, uh, you know, and, and it really makes you feel like you're having an impact on a creative thing. You know what I mean? That's cool. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and you know, it's like I, I do that with my wife Juliet, um, and so it's just one of those kind of fun things we do together. You know what I mean? Like we walk in with a cup of coffee in the studio at eight a.m. and kind of like work for you know ten or twelve hours. You know, and it, and it's just that like banter back and forth, and the you know creating something great. You know, she's awesome at 
Um, she has this really breadth of knowledge about what's what's been done in films, what what would be cool to do, um, what works and what doesn't, and it's immediate. You know what I mean? So like, I'll be playing something or whatever, and and she was she'll be like, nope. <laughs> that, that that's not what we need to do we need to establish this arc here and that's gonna not work and you mean it's like that having that kind of general producer so i can kind of just be a musician in a way is kind of fun because most of the time i'm that guy you know what i mean so it's a it's just another uh, you know and we you know we all got got into music to play you know what i mean and it's so it's fun to play I was going to say before, you know, because I'm a huge horror fan, so music is obviously big within that genre, and, and it's yeah. cool about talking, because I know you work with your your wife. Uh, I don't have that. She's dance teacher. I'm disabled, so that's not going to work. So, but she, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, it's one of those irony things. Yeah. Uh, one thing we didn't talk about last time before we get into Guns N' Roses and everything like that is Little Sean. Not the rapper, or is that Big Sean? I don't know. But like you growing up, did you yeah. like? I was thinking as you were talking, was there like maybe a movie you grew up watching that inspired you? Like I want to do that. Or at that time, was it about being in a rock band when you were younger before you made it? Um, you know, it's funny because uh, I, I really didn't. Uh, I kind of wanted to be a record producer before I wanted to be a musician. Okay, like or be in a band. You know what I mean? Like, I, like I. I really liked music and I liked singing along to the radio and stuff. And, but I, like, I started really listening and started really getting into all the things that make, make a song. You know what I mean? And I may, and maybe it was a, uh, a product of being around, like being a kid in the late sixties, early seventies, where, you know, it's like, I remember being 10 years old when, when, uh, Dark Side of the Moon came out. You know what I mean, mm -hmm. and I heard the song "Money" and was like, "Whoa!" You know, and bought the record, listened to everything, and and just the you know the kind of crazy stuff that went into production on that. All the music, concrete stuff, all the interviews, all the tape looping, all the you know, it's like it was just such an incredible experience. And you know, in front of a big stereo, because you know, in the seventies, people had these big, amazing, like big stereo systems. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so it was like, it was just such a incredibly immersive experience or whatever, you know? So, so the whole process, the whole idea of making music and, you know, having the Beatles having, like having, have them do all those crazy, amazing things. Like I remember when Sergeant Pepper came out in like 67, like I was little, but like, you just couldn't help but go, wow. <laughs> you know I mean, it was like a whole psychedelic experience, you know, like, and, uh, that so that stuff was the thing stuff that informed me so like becoming a musician was more about figuring out how to be a record producer you know and it was like one of one of the most inspirational people to me was uh, Todd Rudgren okay and so it was like he was this musician who did all the stuff himself and then he helped other people make great music as well and so that that became my like when I found out about him and that I was like this is how I want to do it. You know, I want to play music and work with other people and help them make their music. And that's pretty much how I, you know, went about it. You know, I'd play in bands and go, you know, hang out in the scene, meet people, become friends with them, mix their bands live, bring them into the studio, do stuff, you know, it's fun. Is that how, is that the trajectory of how you, your relationship with Trent Reznor 
started off? Exactly. Like I, I was in that, uh, I had finished college and had gotten a job at Great Track Studio in Cleveland um, as an engineer. And it was like one of those amazing things. I worked for like two weeks as an assistant engineer at the studio that I interned at and then went right to there to be an, an, an engineer because uh, uh, Bruce Seifert, the guy that uh, owned the studio, wanted like some time off with his family. Which is funny because it's his son, Michael Seifert, who's like a Grammy winning, you know, engineer, producer. Um, he was like nine years old at the time. So, <laughs> you know, so they did that. And, and Michael would come into the studio all the time, you know, and uh, I would show him stuff because he was super interested in things. So I'd show him how to mic a piano or how, how I do this, how, you know, how that's different than what his dad does. And, and you know, what I mean, and then figure out, all, you know, and so he got he he got that kind of experience too and i think he just became such a fan of being in the studio like like first thing he did was got his own little little place in the upstairs of the studio that we were at and started you know making his own music and ended up working with bones thugs and harmony and all that stuff later on and you know after i left you know but uh, i get to work with him every once in a while like in back in cleveland and stuff he's it's just an awesome guy um, but yeah, that was my, my trajectory there was, you know, I started working in that studio. Plus I was playing in some big bands in town. I was playing in the rival band for Trent's band, which Trent was in the band Exotic Birds. I was in Nation of One, which is, was this other band there. And we were kind of house bands at these different clubs. And uh, I started like, I hung out with them and then I, was, I started mixing that band. So I started mixing Exotic Birds. Um, Andy Kubashevsky from Stabbing Westward was the lead singer, uh, main guy in that band. Oh, okay. Um, and so, and Andy and I are still working together. Like literally, I just did two EPs for him last year for his band Discotech, which is an amazing, amazing synth pop band. He does everything with modular synths and, you know, I mean, it's just crazy cool mm. stuff. Um, so I started working with them, just mixing uh, them live, and Trent and I just started hanging out. And we he was playing in, t I think, two of the bands I mixed live. And he was working at a rival studio called The Right Track. And he was he's, one day, he was, I, I asked him to play on my demo tapes. So he came to Great Tracks and played keyboards on that stuff. And he said, oh, this stuff sounds really good. I'm, I'm doing my demos. I need someone to mix them. Would you mix them? And so I went over to Right Track and mixed his demos. And uh, that worked out awesome. Uh, I met uh, Bart Koster who owned that studio and Bart was like, I want you to engineer here. So I ended up going to Right Track and engineering there. Um, and, you know, as it went through, uh, Trent got, uh, you know, Trent had, had his manager, John Malm at the time, send out, you know, the demos to people and they all came back super positive. Everybody kind of wanted to just put it out as is. Um, he found a label that would let him work with the guys he wanted to work with, which was like, you know, Keith LeBlanc and Flood and Adrian Sherwood, all these amazing guys that we were, you know, I mean, we just thought they were all gods, <laughs> you know, and, and so it was so exciting that he was going to work with that. And I told Trent, I just said, you know, anything you need me to do, I'm here to do it for you. So, you know, just let me know. And eventually it was like, I, I need you to mix front of house for tour. And so I just went out on tour with them and then he asked me to, uh, engineer downward spiral. So you know, did that and built a studio with them and all that stuff. Rest is history. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I, you did know, you foresee I, that success. Cause again, you kind of grew up together and you're doing your engineering, you know, front of house shows, you're in rival bands. Did you see something in Trent and then in that project, what 
it was going to be? Yeah, I mean, like, it was funny. I, I'll tell you that because he was just, like, just really talented. And, it, like, you know, there aren't that, like, many, many great keyboard players in town or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, like, or cool. You know what I mean? He was cool. <laughs> okay, you, know? Sure. Yeah, you know, yeah, his look was really good. I mean, it was 80, so it was, like, there was a lot of look stuff going sure. on, you know. And, uh, you know. And uh, he was just he was just really good. He was really talented. Um, he put on a decent show. Um, and when I went to mix his stuff in the studio, I, I think the first song was maybe Down In It or something. And I just as when I finished it, I just like I listened down to what they had recorded, and I turned around. That's when I turned around and said, "I will do anything." <laughs> to work on this. You know what I mean? Like it, cool. cause it was so cool hmm. and it was exactly the kind of music that I was really getting into at the time. Um, and so I just was like this, I, I just saw this as being something that's going to be, you know, could be big, you know? And it, it was, you know, and at the time I was, I was touring, um, the States with uh, humble pie. I was playing bass for humble pie. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, oh, that's, um, that's awesome. Yeah, but you know that was like the, doing the dinosaur rock tour. You know, blah, blah, blah. and it was yeah. awesome. Like the guys were amazing. Um, it was, you know, what it was. I think the only original member was Jerry Shirley at the time, the, the drummer, and uh, Charlie Hune was uh, singing and playing lead guitar. He's a singer for Ted Nugent's Double Live Gonzo. You know, and uh, Wally Stocker was the lead guitar player. He was a guitar player for Air Supply and the Babies. You know what I mean? So they were all like people like I was like, wow, holy cow, they're, you know, cool guys. And I ended up uh, mixing a single for them in the studio. And that's how I ended up playing, uh, playing bass for them. Um, but it was this juxtaposition of like nine inch, like I saw Nine Inch Nails as like, this is where the, this is a future. You know, this is where things are going and I'm doing playing on this dinosaur rock tour and it was you know incredible experience super super fun great guys you know playing with bands like fog hat and you know i mean it's like yeah you know incredible like so t these guys were so talented and like i'm the young guy on the tour and everybody is like telling me stories you know so i get to learn so much stuff from these guys like just in how like how everything went wrong <laughs> You know what I mean? Or, right. you know, how did they lose all their money? How did they, you know, like what, what would they do differently if they could know about it? You know, and, and one of the big things was like, uh, you know, merchandising, you know what I mean? Like I wouldn't have sold my merchandising rights. You know what I mean? Okay. I would have tried, like if I would have been able to figure out a way to do it, I would have done that, which I ended up kind of relaying that to Trent and he ended up forming his own merchandising company and made a ton of money doing that. You know what See, I mean? I mean, what an invaluable experience, you know, by the yeah. way, I like dinosaurs and rock. I mean, whatever. That's the, I, I, I find that such an endearing, I find it an endearing term, but right. it's prepared you. It kind of propelled you for the rest of your career. And here's where I, the radio pivot is. I remember I was listening to our, our first episode last night to prepare for this one. And you mentioned, because obviously Chinese democracy, there are Nine Inch Nails people in there. And yeah, yeah. it's a changing of the guard. And people are like, why is Axel wanting to sound like Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails? And you you said something that you were kind of surprised at that he wanted to go that route. But you also have that classic rock route. So, oh, yeah. Uh, one thing, because I, like I said, fans loved your first appearance. So I want to make sure I get some fan names in here for the question in there, Nine Inch Nails to cool. GNR which would the tie, I guess, 
was, is Robin Fink, a major tie, and they want to hear more about him. Uh, Rafael Tavares wants to hear uh, Peter Vankman. I don't think the real Peter Vankman, Dr. Vankman. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. But still, they want to hear more about Robin Fink because I I was even, when I, when they debuted this new band at the VMAs, I'm like, who is this guy with the shaved head in the middle and the hair on the sides? It's crazy. <laughs> Can you tell us more about working with Robin, the guitar, kind of guitarist, musician that he is? Because he doesn't really give a lot of interviews, so he's hard to no. get. He's hard to Yeah, he doesn't. He's a, he's a really private guy. Um, he's a, he's almost like an enigma. Like, he kind of keeps, keeps himself as Perfect an Perfect for Guns N' Roses. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And and perfect for Nine Inch Nails was like, you know, that I, you know, it's like he walked, I remember he walked in, um, we were doing um, what are they called, Uh, tryouts for uh, the Downward Spiral Tour. And we were looking for a lead guitar player because Rich had left to do Filter, right? And so we needed someone and we were trying out all these different guitar players. of which like Elijah Blue Almond came out and played for us and stuff. And he was great. And, uh, and then this guy walks in and, uh, he had, uh, he literally, we gave him the audition because he had sent us a videotape without him playing guitar. It was just him dancing around naked in a backyard. (laughs) And, and, uh, we, we knew the people that he was, he was, uh, He's like living in uh, heaven and hell, the um, the place called the Masquerade in um, Atlanta, Georgia, which was like a, a big venue to go to to play and stuff. And we played there several times. And the people that owned the place were in this band called Impotent Sea Snakes. And turns out Robin, the guitar player, was a dancer in Impotent Sea Snakes. And the videotape, Chris, Chris Renna had been doing all these videotapes and, you know, kind of figuring out who who to audition and stuff. And that videotape was one that he had gotten and he was like, this was so crazy. I just have to get this guy here. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, we just have to, this, we just have to break it up with this. Cause you know, auditions are soul destroying in some ways. Okay. You know what I mean? Like for the people auditioning and for the people that are doing the auditions. You know what I mean? And uh, so we had all these great guitar players play whatever. And then this guy walks in who's, this guy that had sent us the videotape of him dancing around naked. And uh, he just, he walks in and he's like, kind of built like a linebacker, you know what I mean? Like, like broad shoulders, you know, tall, good looking, really good looking with dreads. And he, he, he walked in and he goes, uh, you know, where do you want me to plug in? I said, just plug into the Marshall there, you know? And so he just walked up, plugged his guitar in, turned around and started playing pinion and it sounded exactly like Trent, same intensity and bends, you know what I mean? It's like a simple guitar part, but it's like the way Trent bends is really specific, you know what I mean? Like, and and Robin just turned around and started doing that just without any any music or anything, just, just that's how he introduced himself. And it was like kind of super mesmerizing. Huh. And then he played a couple of songs and he just played exactly like the album you know what i mean and with all that intensity that trent brought with the guitar parts and uh and then he just he he like finished like the three songs he did or whatever and and then walked over and said uh hey can i have a beer <laughs> you know what i mean and it was just so kind of like he just seemed like one of us you know what i mean but in a very like with this great aura of mystery you know what i mean but still you know 
what seemed like an easy guy to hang out with or whatever. And it, the same thing, we, we took him out that night for a, a Mexican dinner at, uh, I think, El Compadre in, uh, in L.A. And uh, we're, in the, we're in the middle of dinner and stuff, and we're like trying to find out about him, trying to gauge or whatever. And all of a sudden, all the waiters come walking over with a ice cream and with a candle and sets it in front of Chris Renna. And it's they're all singing happy birthday to him and stuff. And we're like, what the, it's not Chris's birthday. And it turns out Robin had done that, like sent the guys over to do that. Like that's like his sense of humor. That's you know great. what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. And it was just like, and this, these are people he like, you know, he's with three guys who have been together for a long time. You know what I mean? Come from Cleveland together, blah, blah, blah. And then him as the new guy. And he does that. You know what I mean? Like that's a lot like, of confidence. A lot of, confidence, yeah, that's a lot it? of confidence. But he, he just seemed like even on top of the point, naked thing, that's confidence in itself. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and uh, it was just, it's just that thing of this guy is going to be interesting to tour with. We needed someone um, that would be a great foil to Trent on stage. And we are used to how great the dynamic was between Rich and Trent on stage. You know what I mean? And we knew we had to have something that powerful for the live performance. And it just seemed like this guy had the charisma and the, you know, moxie to do something pretty amazing on stage. And, turned out he, he was amazing you know what i mean and he's a great guitar player you know what i mean like like he can play all the you know all the classic rock you know guitar stuff as well but will just sit in and get into the vibe and play exactly the style that we were doing you know what i mean so it was kind of perfect you know what and about he's sweetheart <laughs> that's why i wanted we want to know more about him so what about the relationship between him and Axel. We spoke last time to Axel's great sense of humor, doing Sam Kinison to warm up and all yeah. that. And where, well, you said Robin's good at playing classic stuff, which he, of course he has to play the catalog. I'm oh, going yeah. to Roses, but now you're going in this industrial path. So what was the relationship between Robin and Axel? What did you uh, see? Um, I th well, Axe had a, um, a great respect for him as a player. Um, he really like he didn't it wasn't like a mentor mentee relationship or anything it was more like uh axel really like likes to surround himself with people that he he feels like he'll be inspired by you know what i mean and uh robin was one of those guys robin played in this band that he really loved like axel loved nine inch nails um I mean, he took us on tour you know back in the early 90s you know um and when when rich was the guitar player um and he, he brought robin in uh he brought billy howardale who was the our one of our big guitar like main guitar techs on the tour mm -hmm. um who was he's an amazing musician in his own right he's been on the show a couple times he's yeah, great. yeah and uh chris renna came in and played drums for for them for a while like he was he was involved with the band at that point as well um, he was, I think he was even involved when it was still Slash and Duff were still there, I think for a bit. Um, but, uh, so there was this thing about, you know, having this new blood, you know, and he really like let Robin, um, have creative say, creative reign in things, you know, like, you know, if Robin wanted to go somewhere during his guitar solo, um, Axe wanted to let him experiment and do do things and he allowed you know he allowed him to play he didn't just have to be kind of like 
the standard, you know, this has to be a great guitar rock, has to be fast or has to be what it's like. It was like, let Robin do what Robin does and kind of see if it works for the song. So he gave him a lot of creative latitude, you know, and they were extremely friendly. You know, Robin's uh, very uh, gregarious when, when he, when you talk to him, um, he's just a sweet guy. And Axe and Robin had a really nice working relationship. You know, that was, it was definitely a, a, a thing of there was respect for both of them because, you know, obviously Robin had a lot of respect for Axe and Axel was, you know, very, like, very open to things that Robin would suggest. That That's cool. and uh, Which is the opposite of Dinish Nails, which there's no openness to anything. You know, Trent did, Trent was, Trent was, because Trent writes everything, plays everything and the records, it's pretty much you have to give him the vibe that he created. You know what I mean? That's the interesting thing where a lot of people think that about Axl Rose and Chinese democracy, where one of the big things you said in the first episode is that they were really playing like a band. It was growing as a band and you were just mentioning uh, accepting ideas and all that. Uh, is, do you th- consider that like a misnomer, I guess, about Chinese democracy? Is that why you... Um, is that what maybe excited you about the project? Uh, maybe yeah, I mean, yeah, it, like it was different than I thought it would be. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, it was because the way I'm trying to think of the man, like the man, Axel, Axel's management style was he brought together people that he just thought brought something important to the table. You know what I mean? And then let them kind of create stuff. But then he always had the 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 he was the arbiter you know what i mean like sure. like you know so it was it was it was kind of like chinese democracy you know what i mean like like you let these let the people do their thing and then you have a, a main guy that says mm, i understand why you want to do this and it's cool but it's just not where i want to go or whatever and then you kind of work around that whatever you know mm-hmm. so so axel was he was definitely the leader definitely it was um you know, he was the, the head guy, but he valued his, what his cabinet members were saying, right? It's like a, like a president who listens to his cabinet members. I think that, right? yeah. And then makes a great, and, and then he's the one that makes the final decision. You know what I mean, and that was the way Axel worked, you know what I mean? Which is very, like very different than what Trent was doing because Trent, it's pretty much, it's Trent, you know what I mean? It's Trent's show, he writes all the songs, he plays all the instruments usually. Um, you know, it, it, at least when I was working with him, you know, once he started working with Atticus, I think they they divvy up more of that between the two of them. You know, that's interesting. It's that, but that, uh, yeah. at, at that point, it was pretty much all Trent. And Trent would write all almost all the parts. Like he'd write the guitar parts, he'd write the the drums. You know, and if if he brought in a guy to play, like there were times when like like Robin would come in and play some guitar parts for for a thing, and then. I would be the one who is always cutting stuff up and, you know, like, so I, he, he would play for a while and then I grab cool pieces, put them together and then, you know, play them for Trent, like play, like uh, out of, out of what Robin played, I've got 10 really cool loops or whatever, you know what I mean? Take a listen to it or whatever. And usually he'd go with the stuff that was really, and not even stuff that 
Robin kind of intended to play. Like there are things where like, you know, he'd take his fingers off the strings at a certain time and then slam back down or whatever. And I'd grab that and make that like almost like a rhythm loop or, you know, and Charles like, that's cool. You know, I'll use that. But it's that thing of there is, there wasn't a whole lot of creative freedom in that. You know what I mean? I gotcha. You know, but it's, that's not really what it was about, you know, (laughs) but, but alive, you, you have a lot of freedom as a performer. You know what I mean? You mentioned, so, uh, I mean, that's that's really fast, and that's what I, I wanted to get from you today because you work with such big names and maybe igna- uh, mysterious names you don't really know and just your perception of it because you seem to be yeah. f- friend to all. So it's, <laughs> it, it, is, uh, it is quite interesting. You mentioned also last time that Axel had the band, to become a band, learn the old stuff and play the old stuff a lot. Yeah. Was that ever recorded and or intended to be released? That was a rumor going around at that time. It, yeah, it uh, it was recorded, and um, I and I think they mixed. Maybe Welcome to the Jungle. I think they mixed and put on a. It was. I think there's in a movie somewhere. Is is the band's version of Welcome to the Jungle? I think. Really? Okay. Um, yeah. Um. But I don't remember what movie it was, and it was that was done. It was done after my time, so that would have been 2002 or something, somewhere around there. Fair enough. Yeah, I also um, wanted to, to get your thoughts on, and, and forgive me if I sound. Uh, I know it's a, a podcast, but I like to pretend it's live. So yeah. as soon as we're done in 10 minutes, I'm interviewing Scott, Ian, and Gary Holt. So it's just like awesome scheduling everybody. I like to pretend it's live. Uh, yeah. I could say, oh, you know, I'm wrapping up in 10 minutes and keep it, you know. You know, Scott Ian is the I, guy that's everywhere at all times. Uh-huh. So, you know, I mean, he's probably here right now. Maybe. <laughs> that's true. It's like, I, rem- I remember when I first moved to L.A., like, Scott Ian was everywhere. Like, everywhere I went, I'd see Scott Ian. <laughs> was, yeah. The guy was everywhere. Oh, I know growing up just watching, like, TV, he was on every VH1 and MTV yeah. and, and, and everything like that. But uh, a couple uh, things to ask you. Um also, we mentioned that there was Axel was thinking about three albums worth of material, and I believe even Sebastian Bach had said that at one point. Yeah, when it came out as one album, what were your thoughts on that? Like, was it not done? Because uh, I know you weren't involved then. Like, because there's right. still obviously all these songs there's, out there, yeah, and that's why there, there's a whole article in Rolling Stone about fans. You know, spending thousands and thousands of dollars to buy leaks from Chinese democracy. I don't know if you're aware of that. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. So just your, your your thoughts on what potentially we could see, or was there just a lot of, do you think, unfinished material? Was it kind of like yeah, I, a, a vision that wasn't fully realized? Yeah, I know. I know. I worked on like 35 songs. That's crazy. You know, back, in, back in the day. And uh you know, it, when you listen, read interviews and stuff about about Chinese democracy and like like a lot of Tommy Stinson stuff is uh, most of this stuff's been done since 2001. <laughs> you know what I mean? But uh, I mean, we had like a lot of stuff done. Now we didn't. We I think I only got vocals on 15. I think 15 songs, something like that. Um, of those 15, of the 15 songs with vocals, I think seven of them made the record. The, the you know Chinese democracy and they because I think they did three or four three or four songs that I didn't have anything to do with like better I didn't do um, can't remember some of the other songs um, 
Sheckler's Revenge or whatever. Um, Shackler's Revenge. Shackler's Revenge. I didn't do that either. Okay, I like that. that (laughs) Yeah, it's cool. It's really cool. What did you do? What did you do specifically that you're most proud of? I guess I can. I can. Um, Well, uh, there was a time I really liked that song a lot. Like probably my favorite other than five, the, yeah. the, well, I got, I, I actually did. I'm going to, I'm, I actually wrote something down. Oh, right? Okay. Cause I, I did, I went through this le- cause it's been, you know, it's been a long time. Um, I'm specifically on, there was a time the end where he's singing that I will do anything for you. I would do anything for you. Um, I think that's my idea. <laughs> I think that was my idea. Um, I mean, he did it and stuff, but uh, it's because I really love this, uh, Soundgarden song, and I can't remember the name of it at the moment, but um, where he did something like that, uh, I think it was you, you weren't mine to give or mine to throw away or something. And it's just kind of, it becomes this kind of like lament or chant, chant at the end, you know? And uh, Trent used to do it on one of his songs. He just kind of add that to it. Um, and I just thought it was like really beautiful and plaintive. And I loved getting that kind of that kind of emotion out of Axel, which I'd never heard before. Well, you know what I mean, that stands out to me other than the solos on there as you're, yeah. you're just saying it, I'm hearing it in my head yeah. right now. And that's one of the songs that made me feel, I mean, I know what is really worth the wait. I mean, you know, uh, the 15 th- to me, I'm like that song. Yes. Wow. This sounds like 15 years into in one song. So yeah. uh, incredible there. And again, it really was, I, th- I thought it had so much emotion like lyrically and, like it was, it was, it was really great. So I, I really loved that one. Um, you know, and there, there are several, I love Riyadh and the Bedouins just for the intensity of it. You know what I mean? And, and it was super fun to record. Um, and, uh, yeah. And when I listened to this stuff, cause when I listened to this stuff last time, it was just, it was nice to hear, like, I mean, a lot of the songs that I had worked on, which, you know, are about seven of them or whatever. Um, the arrangements that we did are practically the same. You know what I mean? And I love the Marco Beltrami stuff, mm. like the orchestration stuff. Cause I'm, I'm a real big Marco Beltrami fan and it's just like, it's mm. so nicely done, like really, really good. So I love those additions and I didn't know, I didn't have anything to do with that, but it's really nice. And- well, that's what I love about Chinese democracy. Cause I don't consider it. I know the Axl Rose album versus Guns N' Roses, but it's a collection of all these brilliant minds over time. And it's yeah. and you use this word. It's the next evolution of Guns N' Roses, and that's how I I look at it. Yeah. Um. I want to ask you this. Obviously, I want. I'm ask, actually interested in the next evolution of Guns N' Roses. Like when they've come all? now, they've come back. You know what I mean? And Richard with Richard Fortas in the mix. You know, what I mean, I, he's just an incredibly talented cat, incredible guitar player too. So you got like two really great guitar players in the band and very creative people. You know. Um, it's just going to be really interesting to see where that goes because I know they're working on a record right now. So, well, I'm I'm glad to hear you say that. I mean, we're all waiting with uh, bated breath uh, for yeah. that. You know, it's been a longer wait than uh, since Chinese Democracy, but I'm enjoying the reunion. Has somebody who's never I, I when I became a fan, they were already broken up. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this has just been a, a fun ride. Oh, and getting to see them live is incredible. I mean, they were always a great live band. So, oh, absolutely. Let me ask you uh, this and and. Maybe, hopefully, maybe not another year, but we need to do part three. I mean, you you are so, ah, it's so funny. I don't like listening to myself, but the, the, the podcast, I'm like, wow, Sean was really great. I really like listening to Sean. What a great, what a great uh, guest in person you are. Oh, thanks. But I want to ask this, maybe a controversial question, but not in the way of Marilyn Manson, what he's known for now. 
That's that's not what I do here. But this is from uh, Vinny. Marilyn mm-hmm. Manson said in a 1988, excuse me, 1998 interview that he covered and recorded one in a million from Guns N' Roses. And mm-hmm. do you know about that? Was it ever going to be released? I do not. I yeah. I I don't know about that one. All right. That was that was. Uh, I think that's during Hollywood. What wasn't it? Like some. I don't know. I, I know that album, but I don't have a Manson podcast, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. I yeah, I, so I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know that one. All right. But it might have been done during that period of time. All right, fair enough. I don't think he should release it. He's enough uh, <laughs> stuff going on. <laughs> yeah. Sean, thank you so much. I know we can obviously keep going, but I don't know. They, I got Scotty and Gary Holt uh, waiting, and <laughs> they're on tour, and I got to get them in this certain window and all that fun. Do stuff. It. So, yeah, we'll do it. We'll do another one. Just let me know. But uh, to keep an update with you with 8mm and everything going on, what's the best way to, to follow you? And then a shout out uh, to Shannon from uh, SOS Management. Yep. Shout out to Shannon. If you want, go, go Shan, um, SOSmanagement at gmail.com if you're interested in working with me. Um, and, uh, you know, she'll get stuff to me so I can listen and, and uh, then we, you know, figure stuff out. And uh, 8millimeterlovesyou.com is our website. So that's where we update things. And hopefully we'll have a record by April, you know, out. Okay. Because we're, we're almost done with it. So, and it's, it, it, it is actually Juliet and my favorite record so far. And it's just, you know, the three of us, me and uh, Juliet and Johnny Radke and just, it's a beautiful record. So I was super happy. I can't it. wait to, to hear it. Sean, uh, again, this was so, so much. Uh, thank you so much. I say I, I know I say that a lot, but I really do. You know, you were retweeting me. You seemed because I, I always feel my, uh, myself consider myself lucky to interview people like you and Scotty and Gary Holt. It's just like whoa, me. But this means a lot when, especially when you return. So uh, cool. thank you, and until next time. I normally say when are you going to see the next podcast? Uh, podcast in the words of Axl Rose, you know, soon. Uh, but <laughs> once you're done with this, click on the next one. So that's how it goes. So until next time, see you then. All right. Talk to you later, man. Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home.